0: There's a guy here just in the nick of time. What does that make us? Big damn heroes, sir. Ain't we just.
1: I'm Norman Graysmith, a documentary filmmaker. And when I stumbled upon Aidan Mendel, I knew I'd found the
2: subject for my next story. You said you had something to tell me. We're going to start a family.
3: Wow.
0: Like Charles Manson.
3: Wake up. We're on.
0: I'm stuck stuck to the f-
3: car Everything's going to be fine This does
1: not look fine Oh I'm going to be sick Hello and welcome to Shoot the Breeze Resonance Performance 4.4 FM Film and TV radio show where a handful of film enthusiasts shoot the breeze about all things film and television I'm Marcus E. Akko and
0: I have seen James Gunn's The Suicide Squad twice Hi, I'm Producer Dave, I am only watched the, the suicide squad the once i'm glad you mentioned that because there's something about that i wanted to bring up as well i'm glad you. about mentioned the suicide it. squad Sorry. about this well it was a comment that um michael made okay michael yeah yeah, yeah michael it, it resonated with me it stuck in my head and he said it was the best thing that he'd ever seen Idris elba in <laughs> and yeah. I was very quiet at that point because I was trying to wrap my brains for other things that I'd seen Idris Elba in and to to sort of like say, yeah, I agree or nay, I don't agree. And my mind just went right back to the first thing I saw him in, which is Ultraviolet. And I've I've, I've talked about this before. I watched the entire series again. And I have to say that the reason that programme stuck in my mind not only the content, but Idris's performance. and I think that's the best thing I've seen him in, particularly in one episode, the penultimate episode, really, really good. I am one hundred percent on board with it, with
1: everything you've just said. So uh, it, uh, so one thing one thing myself and Michael and Maria go back and forth about we always have this debate about e about Idris Elba, right? So I am you know, anybody who's been listening to us will know. I'm an Idris Elba apologist, right? Anything that you find that is, is, is work, that is not good, I'll find a reason to explain either why it's not good or why you are wrong in saying it's not good and tell you that it's one of the best things ever. And I am 100% on board with what you just said because the first thing I saw him in, just as you've said, is ultraviolet. I've, I saw that before I saw The Wire. I saw it when it was on TV. That was the first thing I saw because he was in family affairs before. Right. It was like a Channel 5 um, soap opera. And he was on that, but I never saw that, right? It was when he popped up in Ultraviolet. I was like, ooh, what else has he been in? And I saw in IMDb, and I still never watched it. But Ultraviolet it was the first thing I saw him in. I thought he was amazing. And even his own career, he's talked about it, how he did Ultraviolet. It went for one season, and it got cancelled after the first season. don't know why, but it's, I guess it's because around that time, British TV... Whenever they tried something different, like fantasy, it never really stuck. If it wasn't Doctor Who, like an established property, it never stuck. So they, so they tried to hand something. I personally thought it was great. It had a cult following, but it wasn't big enough to get it renewed for a second season. He then decided to pack up and go to America, did a number of different films and TV shows, not TV shows, mainly films, worked with Tana Perry, et cetera. And then he landed The Wire, right? And that's where the rest of the world then got to hear about Idris Elba from The Wire playing Stringer Bell, and he was fantastic in that show. And then he moved on and started doing films and so on, and he's gone stratospheric. Um, and so, you know, I personally think Michael Lamaria is just being a contrarian. He would disagree with me on that, naturally, but. You know, we always have this back and forth about it. And I, 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 I was really, I was like, you know what? After we watched um, uh, The Suicide Squad with Idris Elba playing blood sport, that stuck with me as well. Just as he said, that's the best thing he's seen Idris Elba in, in a long time. Like, there you go. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance four point four FM. I'm Marcus Diacco. I'm producer Dave. Uh, we have a bumper show today. We're just going to catch up on a number of things. Um, I, we, I do want to talk about one thing in particular, kind of connected to Indra Salba and we'll, we'll talk about that in just a couple of minutes. Um, but later on in the show, we're going to have interviews with Connor Buru and Dom Lenoir, who are talking about their fantastic film, uh, uh, When the Screaming Starts. We're also going to talk to Mitch Tolliday, who is currently in post-production uh, of, of his film Murder Ballad, which is... of an expansion on his short film everything is going to be fine that's the the name of the short he's expanded into murder balance so we're going to talk to the two of them although the three of them about their own projects later on uh but before then let's jump into film and tv news You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance on 4.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Akko. And I'm producer Dave. Um, I wanted to sort of, you know, talk a little bit about a, a death that happened recently. Uh, Michael K. Williams, those, those who don't know Michael K. Williams, if you've watched The Wire, um, he played Omar in The Wire. We talked about The Wire a little bit, a few minutes ago, when we were talking about Idris Elba, uh, who played Stringer Bell. Uh, If you didn't see that one, you may have seen him as Chalky White in Boardwalk Empire uh, with Steve Buscemi and a number of other people. Uh, If you didn't see that, you may have seen uh, Lovecraft Country, which played recently, uh, and he's on that as well. He got nominated for an Emmy on that, but he's also been in a whole number of other things. You've seen him around as a, a, he's a very prolific character actor. He's popped up in a number of different films as well. You always see him pop up um, he's he's uh, he was black actor with a massive scar across his face, um, and he's very talented. Every time he popped up, I always was like, yay, that's that's Omar. Unfortunately, he passed away uh, sometime this week um, at the age of 54, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and it it hit it hit me hard because Michael K Williams, fantastic actor, it just and from what everybody else. Talks about, you know, very few people have bad things to say about him. Um, But he's just, he's a terrific force on screen. Whenever he popped up, every word he spoke was 100% believable. He played such diverse characters as well. He He brought such, it's a weird thing to put, and I'll explain why I'm saying it. He brought such diversity to the role that he played anyway. Every role that he played, he made that role a kaleidoscope of, emotions and
0: character,
1: character levels within each character. Just giving a typical example with Omar, for example, um, is one of the first, if not only portrayals of a homosexual gangster in in any TV show, film that I've watched, where they're not treated as a joke or they're not treated as a weakling or, you know, that he's weak because of his sexuality. If anything, it's just his sexuality just added that extra layer to his character because he is just, he, he, he's just when I say three-dimensional character, they say three-dimensional characters. They say three-dimensional characters it, it's an understatement just to say it. He brings such finesse, such multi-layered approach to the character of Omar. Just as an example, um, Chalky White from Boardwalk Empire. If anything, I loved what he did with Chalky White for the first few seasons. The last season of Chalky White uh, of um, of um, Boardwalk Empire, I thought, but again, not his fault. It's the writing, in my opinion. I think they did the character of Chalky White a disservice, I, and then his performance in Lovecraft Country, I thought, was just phenomenal. Again, he plays a he plays such a despicable character to begin with, and then you why he's that way and there's an evolution that comes with the character until the very last episode of his life, mind-blowing with the way he it's all in his portrayal of the character. So, I just wanted to use this opportunity to just say, rest in peace, Michael K. Williams, you uh, were taken away way too soon, uh, I, 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 there's nothing that you, what can you say to someone who's grieving at this point? I don't, I personally don't know what I can say. All I would say is, all I can say now is, rest in peace, Michael K. Williams. My life has been better knowing that you existed and seeing the work and the art that you created. And I know I'm not the only one who were touched by your performance and are just as sad as I am. But we'll always cherish your work and your art will always remain with us. Rest in peace, Michael K. Williams. You're listening to Shoot The Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus Diacco. E. I'm producer Dave. And producer David, just before we began the show, you mentioned a uh, documentary series that you had started watching, and I said that I started watching it as well. Obviously, our listeners haven't heard any of of that conversation, so please tell us,
0: what is the documentary series that you uh, found and you started watching? It's a documentary series called Secret History of Comics, and this is not comics as in stand up comics. This is comics as in what they call in America, comic books, the, the Marvels, the DCs and all the other ones. It was shown on Sky not too long ago. I haven't got Sky, but a friend had me recording it and said, you know what? You need to watch this. So I've watched the first two episodes of first episode deals with Marvel comics and how that came about. Obviously, it focuses a lot on Stan Lee, but you hear the history of how he became the editor in chief of uh, Marvel Comics, or as it was at the time, Timely Comics. And the second episode is all about Wonder Woman. And I have to say, that is a truly fascinating story. I know that you've seen some of the episodes. Have you watched either of those two episodes? Uh, Yes. I, I i the documentary series that you were talking you refer, to which you're referring
1: is or oh, it was on sky arts and you can go on if you have if you if you have sky and you have catch up you can download the entire series there are about five episodes in it five or six episodes so the first one talks about um, the second one talks about Wonder woman i think the second one either the second one or the third one talks about Wonder woman one talks about superman and' that's three since 9 11. Uh, Then that's that's four. The fifth one talks about comics by black artists and moving from there. And then the last one is uh, focusing on, uh, well, funnily enough, as the way you described it, when you described comics, you said uh, Marvel and DC and all the others. (laughs) It's it's like literally, that is how the comic book uh, market is dominated, right? But one of the others, um, and I'm doing air quotes, which is basically the, the, I guess, the third in competition against Marvel and DC is Image Comics, right? So um, he talks about that one in particular. So um, I watched the first one about Marvel. I watched half of the second, half of the one with Wonder Woman. Um, I still, I have queued up the one about Black artists. I haven't watched that one yet. But then I watched uh, the Image, uh, the one about how Image Comics was born and literally image comics uh, focused it was uh, it was basically four or five different artists and comic book writers who had been making big money from marvel and dc uh, but they just weren't given the you know not that they weren't given the rights they still had the kind of like the rights because they wrote it but they weren't giving much given much of the of the residuals of the pie of what was happening with the comics the, the creations they, they made so okay, they were working on established um material, obviously Stan Lee or Marvel, and uh, um and what's his name? Uh, the the two um Siegler, is it Siegler? I can't remember the name, the one, the people who created um uh Superman, etc. So these writers and comic book artists were doing wonders with that material. However, they weren't getting much in the way of uh, you know residuals compared to what marvel and DC the actual copies we're getting so they just basically said you know what we're going to start our own we're gonna go in, in competition and that was where that's how image comics was born and if i'm not mistaken i think image comics is what then um has spawned as say spawned spawn for example right so the the, the, the comic book spawn um and, you know the the, the the character from hell the assassin who gets killed goes to hell becomes a hell spawn and comes back and so on and so forth he's from image comics i think walking dead also came out um robert kirkman came out from image comics and so on and so forth but they had the uh, their basic, basic vision was that the creators that worked and released under image would be sole owners of their own property, and and so in you know as a reverse of what Marvel and DC were doing. But that show this docu series, if you are if you have any interest in comic books or comic book movies as well, it is very fascinating. It really, is extremely fascinating being able to see sort of the history. And the way they did it as well is sort of not it's not just talking heads, it's also like slight dramatization as well, where you get to see you know some scenes acted out based on some of the conversations had by some of the people that were in the room and so on and so forth. So <coughs> it is it, so interesting that I was watching I, I the first one I watched, the first episode I watched was about Marvel, I was watching it with someone who was just moving back and forth in, in the in the house and literally just a case of just you know slowly. Sat down and just sat there and watched the rest of the episode with me. He was like, wow, I didn't know that. I didn't know Stan Lee did that. I didn't know he worked that long. And it's like, you know, I didn't know he made it so successful as late as he did in his life. And so on. we get to hear the trials and tribulations of, of, um, of uh, Stan Lee, of the other, you know, comic book writers and, you know, heroes in, in both Marvel and DC, as well as, as you were talking about, you talked about Wonder Woman, right? So you've watched the Wonder Woman episode you watched that in full? Which one?
0: The the episode about Wonder Woman. Oh yeah I watched that in full and it is truly fascinating. The genesis of the idea for Wonder Woman, how the creator lived an unconventional life with his wife and his lover in the same house, how all the early comics were based on his disc theory and I encourage you to look it up and look up what Marsden mentioned about the disc theory, uh, the controversy that abounded because of how Wonder Woman was portrayed in the early comics in some respects. I think someone is quoted as saying that in every comic book, Wonder Woman was tied up or restrained in virtually 75% 75% of the time. Um, but she still came across a very strong and powerful woman and was the first female heroine for, of that age. The guy who authorized it took a chance and it paid him back because as Marston said, at the moment, all your comic books are being sold to young boys. What will happen is you will open up a brand new market because Young boys will still buy it because of the pretty lady, but also young girls will buy it because it's a lady. It was an excellent episode. It was very eye opening. And uh, even if you only watch one episode, I, I think that will be the one that you should really watch because it will open your eyes to some of the shenanigans and some of the things that went on. But the Marvel episode, excellent episode as well um, particularly as uh, the, the way i looked at marvel and dc and the reason why i preferred marvel to dc and it came across in that episode marvel was more based in the real world whereas yes. dc was more fantasy and it only, it took them until i think it was the mid to late eighties before they actually started to catch up and actually base their characters in the real world, which is not, which is something Marvel was doing already. And so many people identified with that. And that's why Marvel started to gain ground, but they had a terrible distribution deal. And uh, yeah, it's all explained in in that documentary. Absolutely, Uh,
1: it's uh, Secret Secret of Comics. I I think that's the name of the- uh, the, Secret History of Comics, yeah. Secret History of Comedy it. and I highly recommend it. It's on Sky Arts, uh, you can do you can download the entire series, um, six episodes, um, from Sky Arts catch up. Uh, yeah, definitely, rec- definitely recommend you watch it. Let us know what you think about it if you agree or disagree with what we said. Message us on Twitter at scb underscore resonance fm on Instagram at shoot the breeze show. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance One FM. I'm Marcus C. Asho, and I'm producer Dave. And just before we jump into our, um, our spotlight where we talk to Connor Buru, Dom, Dom Lenoir, and uh, Mitch Toleday, I just want to give a, a special shout-out as well to a film that has recently come out. I still am yet to see it. I want to go see it. I've been watching a TV show um, and catching up on it. It is uh, basically cast and crew of uh, people just do nothing. So we recently... Got a shout out from uh, two of the stars uh, from People Just Do Nothing because they've got a, a film. If, if you don't know what the show is or what the film is, it's a TV show called People Just Do Nothing. I think it came out on BBC Three a few years ago. And it was, it's it, it's sort of like a mockumentary following a uh, pirate radio station and uh, the MCs that basically run the pirate radio station. MC Grinder, played by Alan Mustafa uh, and uh, DJ B. D- played by Hugo Chegwin, as well as a number of other people. And so they've not done a movie. They've they've graduated from a TV show into a movie and it's people who just do nothing big in which is the pirate radio show that they're doing. So I recently got a shout out from them. Big, as soon as I get the opportunity, I've got a whole number of, I've got a number of things on my plate at the moment. I need to try and clear. And then I'll go go and uh, I'll, I'll watch the movie. But the TV show, if you can't get it on BBC, it's on Netflix. If you have Netflix, go and check it out. Just wanted to give a big shout out to the uh, to, to the crew behind. People just do nothing. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. Let us know what you think about the movie. Big shout out. Thank, thank you again for shouting us out on Shoot the Breeze, all uh, on Resonance one hundred four point four FM, and and let's jump to Spotlight. <laughs>
4: You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako.
0: and I'm producer Dave.
4: And we're joined by the director and the producer of this film that we've been tracking since it was since they were shooting it. We were lucky to be invited. It's been the it's been the, it was the first where we've gone and done an episode on the set of the film when the screaming starts. Uh, so we've been tracking it from then to now where it is actually getting its, its debut screening. So let's start off uh, by meeting some of the some of the stars the, the the sparks the the you know engines behind this particular movie. We'll start off with the director, then we'll move to the producer please tell us your name and uh, yeah then you introduce the next person.
2: Yeah for sure. So um, I'm Connor Baru. I'm the director, co-writer and also a producer on when the screening starts. And this handsome chap is uh, <laughs> Dom Lenoir. I'll let you do the rest.
5: Well, there's not much else to do. I'm, I'm a producer on <laughs> it. Hi, I'm Dom. producer and, uh, yeah, I um, did indeed meet you guys um, and lured you on to first set it for Shoot the Breeze, which is a really cool thing to do, actually, and do some sort of, interviews and uh, getting behind the scenes. It was a really, uh, really fun experience.
4: Absolutely, you dangled in front of us bait that we could not refuse. Because, uh, you know, I've been on sets before. Uh, it was producer Dave's first time on a, uh, producer Dave, it was your first time on a on a film set. Correct? Yep, that was the
0: first time being shouted at for making noise, yes. <laughs> yes, that was <laughs> that was hilarious. Just at various points, just like we just wanted to have a conversation and I'm just trying to explain.
4: It's like, well, you see that person there that's holding that thing and that person there. No the people are running over there and what well, you're like, quiet on set. It's like, okay, fine. And we go upstairs. Uh, where you know we think everything's gonna be quiet. It's like we're still yelling, people are still yelling at us to be quiet. But um it it's, it energized me so much because it has been such a long time since I've been on a film set and watching everyone do that and talk to everybody as well. is It's honestly, if you ever get the opportunity, if you're interested in films, just get the opportunity to go and do something on a film set. Even if it's just you know holding a boom or, or making coffees, just to sit there and, and just feed off that electricity on the set. Now I'll stop rambling about that. I'll jump to uh, to, the, to the writer, director, producer, to tell us what is when the screaming starts.
2: When the Screamer Starts is a mockumentary. It's following the journey of an aspiring serial killer. That's He's played by Ed Hartland, And we also have a Louis Theroux type journalist who's following Aiden on his journey, trying to capture him in his quest to become this infamous serial killer. And that's uh, Jared, Jared Rogers, who plays that role.
4: And Ed Hartland is uh, is a co-writer on the project as well. When we, were, when we last uh, talked about the project, when we were on set, we spoke with him as well as yourself. Uh, so tell us, how did you get, uh, how did you uh, become part of When the Screaming Starts?
2: I'd been working with Ed and Jared for a long, long time. Uh, we all met at drama school and we've been putting on loads of different productions ever since, everything from plays, short films, sketches. So we'd always been working together. We've been wanting to make a feature for a long, long time, but we just never had that script that was A, good enough and B, feasible within our budgets and, you know, limitations that we had. Um, so, yeah, Ed presented this, this idea to me. It's something that we discussed years before as a very simple seed of an idea. And Ed actually went a- away. He wrote a first draft and... The core of it was there, you know, the spine that you still see in the finished film was there. It's very different. There's lots of different plot points, different characters. We worked and developed it for the best part of a year. But the spine of it was there and we just we just started working on it. Jared jumped on board as a producer as well as the co-lead. And we've never looked back really. Obviously along the way we've picked up a lot of traction, a lot of steam. We've been joined. We've had reinforcements with the likes of Dom, who have, you know, massively helped to take the film to a to another level.
4: Nice way to segue onto Dom. Uh, Dom, Lenoir, we we first met you uh, when you were you came on the show with Giles Alderson, filmmaker, uh, podcaster of the fantastic. Uh, filmmakers podcast I don't know I, I should start getting royalties for the for the number of times I pitched that podcast but it's a brilliant should I? <laughs> uh, yeah. it's a brilliant podcast if you're if you're interested in in, in getting into filmmaking absolutely I mean, even if you're in filmmaking just listen to that podcast he gets some fascinating guests on there so the two of you came on our show to talk about your uh, make make your film uh program which was basically encouraging uh you know aspiring filmmakers to get up and make their film uh, and then you then Told us about when the screaming starts. So, what actually attracted you to jump on the, the project when the screaming starts?
5: I think it started off, uh, you know, as I as I mentioned before, I've um, Connor sort of come on um, some of my we came on my film course uh, that I ran a while ago, and he's come to the the film events. I mean, this is a good example of networking, sort of working <laughs> networking. Um, so, <laughs> so, I mean, basically like it started off as, I mean, my, my, my sort of, my sort of thoughts are, you know, whatever stage you're at in the industry, if you're in a position to help, you should help. Uh, and you can either be a gatekeeper or you can be a gate opener. And obviously then the question comes down to, you know, whether you want to open up your connections to the people because of their attitudes and also because of the quality of, of what they're doing. So, you know, Connor sort of passed those tests uh, with the project. There were projects that he'd brought to me where I I didn't think that they were, you know, particularly in great shape, the scripts, or they weren't necessarily as original as they could be. Um, But this one one was good. Um, And it just started off as advice um, initially, like providing insights, connecting with him, with some people that I I sort of trusted and and were good, like Lucinda um i'm just sort of putting the pieces together in terms of helping him you know build build the project and um you know he started to go off on his own and and you know the other thing is if you're if you're working with people you've you've got to have proactivity and they've they've got to be doing some stuff themselves you can't expect a a producer to come on and do everything um and, and he did and him and jared and ed started to build the core team and they brought in a lot of their own uh people uh and it started to shape into something quite decent and then I saw it was a respectable project and I'm quite reluctant in what I join in terms of a producer and as a director as well. Um, But I did think it was a quality, quality team and it was shaping up well. So I I sort of ended up coming on set and overseeing to make sure things were running smoothly. And then that sort of developed into producing. And then in post-production, I just became, you know, swamped with the project basically and, brought a lot of the the post team in um, and some, some really great people I'd worked with before that sort of boosted and and uh, the production values in, in a couple of places and um, worked with what was already very well shot, well acted uh, footage.
4: You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Acho. I'm producer Dave. And we're joined uh, by the uh, writer, producer, director and the producer of When the Screaming Starts uh, Buru, and Dom Lenoir. Uh, the the film, from what we saw while we were on set, we only got to see one aspect of it, one scene in particular, and it seemed it it was riveting. It was almost it's an ensemble piece. Uh, you have a bunch of you have a number of actors who are going to be working together on as the uh, as the mockumentary goes through. So you talked about the Louis Theroux style. Uh, documentarian who's interviewing this main character played by ed hardland uh, but then you get to meet other uh, characters as well i'm not going to say who they are or what they do but i will mention some of the actors Yesan, auteur um var hog uh, I, I i always mess up the twins the name the names of the twins uh, yeah. octavia gilmore a number of other people as well who are there uh so connor i want to jump to you Uh, You mentioned that it's a mockumentary style. So when people start thinking mockumentary, the first thing that pops up in my head is things like The Office and maybe, uh, or maybe something like This Is Spinal Tap, what sort of references Mm -hmm. or sort of influences uh, did you let bleed into your uh, telling of this particular story?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, initially, when when i was coming on board the project looking at the initial draft i guess i was thinking more like something like the office there's a sort of iconic style of mockumentaries we have in this country this very dry british sense of humour and originally it was just going to be like that you know not overly stylized maybe not having too much music or a score or anything like that but as the film developed and the ideas kept on evolving I felt like I wanted to make this a little bit more cinematic and a little bit more stylized than, say, something like The Office. I love The Office, but, you know, we it's just not my thing. I can't touch what those guys have done. It's just incredible. So I tried to bring my own flavor to it, my own style, and tried to create something a little bit more quirky and off the wall. And as I said before, a little bit more stylized.
4: Okay, and and Dom, as the producer, the experienced producer coming on board this project, you've now you're essentially quarterbacking the project. As you said, you came on. Uh, Connor and the others had already done a great job, but then when it came to post production, you stepped in a lot more, and you're now taking it forward. There's a screening that's about to happen. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. Um, from a producer's perspective, what are your um, what w- would your sort of vision of this type of mockumentary comedy, you know, it's it's a low budget mockumentary comedy, British comedy as well. Um, what is your sort of vision as to the uh, life expectancy of this film in the market as it is? Just to throw into the fact that we have, you know, we're, we're currently going through major blockbusters in, you know, reporting losses in cinema because of COVID and pandemic, etc. What is your expectation for this particular project, a low-budget mockumentary comedy, British comedy, to do in the marketplace?
3: Well, I mean, I guess I never
5: look at it as a, as a low budget, and I don't look at anything that I tend to work on as low budget because I throw everything uh, I can and I think that's one of the things myself and Connor have in in, in common is that even though it's got that quirky British charm there's the kind of American cinema polish um, that's always been in the background in terms of the composing the grade um, you know the VFX all those kind of things I mean one of the things uh, I sort of brought on board was the the title sequences which looks uh, really amazing and sort of gives it that HBO intro, sort of Game of Thrones, True Detective uh, vibe, which is a a really cool sort of intro into into things. And then it sort of chucks into this sort of British comedy. Um, So, I mean, obviously, COVID has been a tricky time, um, but what is uh, definitely going on in the market is an interest in original, interesting content. uh, And I think people are hungry for it. Um, I think this looks well above its budget. Uh, I think it's because it's so original uh, and it has got so many sort of good reference points in terms of what people are interested uh, and also being sort of partly a genre film. Uh, I think there's certainly a very good route to market for it. Um, and the fact that we've been selected uh, at Fright Fest one of the biggest sort of horror film festivals in the world, and we've already had about three or four major festivals uh, headhunting us already. Uh, speaks very highly at at the sort of interests uh, of the film. Uh, And I think it's going to find a pretty firm audience amongst the the horror and comedy uh, communities, especially.
4: That's fantastic news. I'm glad to hear uh, of the success that it is that it is that currently ongoing and it's literally just the fact that it was only uh, it almost feels like it was almost last week that we were on set and, and a few weeks ago we had you come on. Uh, Connor, you came on and talked about the project. It's great to hear of the success so far um, and you've brought it up, Don the fact that it's now premiering at Fright Fest, So tell us, what is Fright Fest for people who don't know about that festival? And when can people get to see it at this uh, festival?
5: So Fright Fest is one of the biggest horror festivals in the world. Uh, It's in Leicester Square. Uh, they Basically, they take over all of Sydney World uh, for a couple of days. It starts on the the 28th. Um, We had two screenings go up on the 28th, uh, which pretty much immediately sold out. And so we had an additional screen added on the 29th. Which is also sold out. Uh, so, so, so watching the film is a little bit tricky uh, right now because of the the demand. But we are planning to have various other festival screenings sort of coming up. And as the festival run, as the initial sort of first half of the festival run sort of starts to um, get stuck in, obviously distributions on the cards, and and we're sort of looking at a wider release so everyone can get their eyes on the film.
4: That's fantastic! More fantastic news: the fact that you you're resold out. Uh, at uh, Fright Fest, and then you're adding more nights. Connor, am I Connor? Am I right in uh, saying that this is your first feature film? Is that correct?
2: Yeah, that's right.
4: That's so, right. what what does it feel like to have your first picture actually sell out at a film festival to the point where you have to add more and more screenings? Uh, you know, it's your first project. When at the moment, again talking about COVID, there are major blockbusters that are not doing that well, that are basically losing money. You, on the other hand. Already making bucks with your—I say making bucks, but you know—at the <laughs> film festival uh, with your first with your debut feature.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm over the moon to be honest. It's it's been a long road, as you guys said. You've been there from from the start. You've been on set. You've seen it. It's um it's been tricky, especially with you know the whole pandemic thing going on in the background. It's, it's not been easy to navigate in in these times. It's never easy to make a feature film, uh, especially an independent one. So to finally get to this point where we finished it and to play at such a an iconic festival. I mean, I think we're all thrilled. Fright Fest was our number one festival in the UK. You know, it's in our home city, it's in London. So we're just we're just so chuffed and so grateful. And we're we're really, really excited to be able to share it with people. I haven't been to the cinema, I don't think, for well, at least a year and a half.
4: Yeah, because everyone is, it's that whole fear of actually going out there and, you know, sitting in a, in a dark room with a whole bunch of strangers, um, the whole mixing with masks and everything else. It is, it, it, it started to lift gradually. And I'm glad to hear that. I've, I have been one person who has been scared about going back to cinema, but in the last couple of weeks, I've been to the cinema three times, which is great. So I'm, right. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that more and more continues. And the moment when uh, the screaming starts, hits the cinemas, I'm gonna be one of the first people there watching it as well. Cause I definitely wanna, I, I definitely want to see this film in the big screen because it from, where, from what we saw, it's it, it looks amazing. It's um, the acting talent on there is great and you know we want to we want to champion independent uh, cinema especially british independent cinema as best as we can you're listening to shoot the breeze on resonance 24.4 fm i'm marcus Aco,
0: and i'm producer dave um just want to ask will you be doing A Q&A when you do the premiere next week
5: we will we'll be doing three three oh. q
0: a's okay uh, because yeah. for each night at fright fest
5: So it'll be sort of introing and jumping from one one to the other. There'll be a a main Q&A on the first one, a a smaller one on the second screening as we sort of run from one to the other. And then on the Sunday, there'll be a full Q&A game. Yeah, there's two screenings that are running almost simultaneously. They're slightly Mm -hmm. staggered. I think
2: one's at 8.45 and the next one, I believe, is at 9.15. So it gives you that time to do the Q&A for each one at the end.
4: So just to check, so obviously it's at Fright Fest at the moment. Have you secured a distribution deal yet or is the plan to basically hit Fright Fest? And as you said, you mentioned earlier that a number of other prestigious film festivals are sort of headhunting you. Have you already secured that distribution deal or are you looking at the festivals to do that for you? Dom, I'll throw that question to you.
5: Yeah, no, I mean, the plan has always been to to use Fright Fest and, and not make any decisions until afterwards. Um, we've already had interest from various parties uh, on distribution, but we've kind of thrown everything uh, into the the PR and, uh, you know, the actual screening itself. Uh, and we're kind of going to enjoy that. Um, and, and we've got a couple of other festivals going up through the winter, but we are going to be speaking more more seriously to distribution and considering all of our options before uh, jumping into anything.
4: That's fantastic. We, we wish you all the best. And, and please let us know the moment it gets that, that uh, distribution deal and everyone gets to see it. The people who can't make it to Fright Fest uh, or to any of the other festivals that it gets into, please let us know. Come on here. We'll champion it as best as we can so we can get as many people watching it. Uh, but yes, absolutely. Uh, Connor, Dom, thank you very much for joining us on Shoot the Breeze. And that was
1: our conversation with the director and producer of When the Screaming uh, Starts, Connor Burrow and
0: Dom Lenoir. Uh, I can't wait to watch that film. I'm definitely looking forward to, to seeing it. Yes, we're definitely gonna, we're gonna reach out to Dom Lenoir Noir and Grove and pest
1: them so they can at least either send us copies or at least invite us to another screening of it. Uh, you're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance for the 4.4 FM. Let's
4: jump to spotlight number two. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Akko. And I'm producer Dave. And we're joined this week uh, by... I'll, I'll, I'm happy to call him a friend of the show. He might not yeah. think the same thing, but he's a friend of the show. He's been on a number of times. remember him from way back when when we sat in and we talked about uh, everything. Uh, is, I, I, it, hold on. Everything will be fine in the end. I keep getting that confused. I keep getting that mixed um, <laughs> Everything the, is yeah, going I, to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. I think it's it to be fine in the end. Everything's going to be fine. Anyway, <laughs> uh, it's a it, wonderful short back in the day. He's now extended it into a feature film called Murder Ballads. Please introduce yourself and tell us what is Murder Ballads all about?
3: Sure thing. Well, yeah, so my name is Mitch Tolday. I'm writer, director, producer of uh, the new independent dark comedy, Murder Ballads. Murder Ballads is six interconnecting stories that tell the rapid rise and violent fall of rock band Stack of Corpses and their uh, the escapades they get up to in willing in wanting to do anything to become number one.
4: That's the short film that we were get introduced to this group um, for in everything's going to be fine in, in that one it's just it's focusing mainly on one sort of plot thread and you've now mm-hmm. expanded it into a feature film. Uh what sort of references for people who haven't either seen it? that people can say, yeah, that seems kind of like that and it's more like that in that sense of humor.
3: Well, yeah, the most um, frequent comparison we get is to kind of Edgar Wright's Cornetto trilogy. It's very much that kind of feel. It's, you know, it's very, we play on our Britishness. It's um, a comedy, there's horror elements, um, but the focus is trying to get in as much comedy, both um, dialogue and physical, as much as possible. But it's no holes barred as well in that, you know, we're not afraid of being 15 or an 18, you know, it's it's out there stuff. So yeah, that's the kind of vibe we're going for really.
4: And you you have some of the uh, original cast from everything's going to be fine, like Imogen Wild. Uh, you have um, uh, Fran Mc,
3: Mc, uh, McAteer. Yeah, and, and Luke de Yeah, they all came back. I mean, that was the first thing I did when we, me and Neil, uh, Neil Rackerson, who's like the co-writer, co-producer. The first thing we did before we started fleshing it out more was making sure that they were all on board um, because we know we wanted to reuse the short. Uh, that's actually changed now. We're actually refilming the short just because we want the, the, the look and feel to fit the new vibe we're kind of going for. And as you said, it's like two years ago since we made the short now. So I feel like I've grown as a director. We've got a different DOP. So we just want the whole thing to feel a bit more uh, connected
4: Well that's, that's interesting I've never heard of anyone actually doing that before because the usual progression I've heard from filmmakers is they'll make a short they'll get an idea a concept they'll do a short um, then that short is executed in successfully or however you want to deem what success is supposed to be uh, and then you take that short and you expand it into a feature film. I've never seen or heard of any filmmaker going back to the original short to remake it after they've done the feature. Um, I, you've, you mentioned that you want it because you want to make it more in tone with the feature film. What extra dimensions are you adding to the short that wasn't in there originally that you want to sort of explore now by redoing the short that you didn't do in the feature film as well?
3: It's a case of that obviously the, the actors have aged and um, it was my first short film. And so I was very much like learning as I was going, um, I'm a lot more prepared this time. Um, There's some shots that I didn't get previously that I'd like to get this time. Also just to make it fit into the overall film better, there's some slight plot tweaks that we've made just so everything is a little bit more plausible. Um, The the short was like based around a very strong idea of, of, you know this was three band members after a car crash and they couldn't get away from the car, and there's a very uh, spoilery thing um, that keeps them there. And we just feel with the the feature, it's, it's not about that. The short's gonna be like the fifth track, as we call them, within the film. And so we already know these characters, so there's not the same reveal. Uh, it was very much like, oh, it was a reveal that it was a band. It was a reveal of each character as we went along. That's no longer necessary because we've already had four stories with these characters. And so you just need to approach the short differently for it to fit in the feature a lot better.
4: Oh, I see. So you're, so So in essentially, essentially you're erasing what came before, that short that came before, you were erasing that completely you're doing a new short that is now packaged as part of murder ballads, and it's now a new story being told as part of murder ballads, but what came before, which was everything's going to be fine, is now sort of like erased from the timeline. Is this new short still gonna be called everything's gonna be fine, and it's with a different sort of focus?
3: Yeah, I mean, so it's, it's not going to be its own separate short. It's part of the film. The idea was always that we, the original idea was we take everything is going to be fine and we wrote five stories around it, which is still how the story is in existence. We just wanted to redo it so it all fits in with the, um, the new tone that we've gone for in, in the feature.
4: Ah, that's fantastic. And it now makes sense. So, so with the original plan, as I mentioned, which is people take a short and then they expand into to a feature, you're basically still taking that same approach. You're still expanding a short, but it's now, uh, the, the short is part of the, uh, wider picture. And as such, you're not just doing that old short again. And that makes yeah. perfect sense. I loved that short. Uh, I'll, I'll be on i on, I've always, I've always said that um i went in knowing barely anything about it just knowing that it was it was about these group of people who are going to be experiencing some issues and all i'm going to say i'm not going to spoil anything is once someone gets something tugged on the front of the on the the, the windscreen of a car i was like oh i see where you're going i'm there let's go and that's basically what it is i really enjoyed it Uh, you're listening to shoot the breeze on resonance 104.4 fm i'm marcus e akko
0: and I'm producer Dave.
4: And with us today is the writer, director, editor, producer of the feature film Murder Ballads, uh, which uh, the full the full name, Murder Ballads, How to Make it in Rock and Roll. Uh, it's based off of a short, which is Everything's Going to be Fine, uh, which, as you just said, uh, you are going to be reshooting just to make it part of this feature film as a whole. So, uh, for those people who haven't heard um, the episode before, when you came on uh, with your other producer to talk about um, murder ballads, what was the inspiration behind the film itself?
3: I mean, um, so myself and Neil, we've always been big film fans, and you know, we made a couple. We made a feature horror when we were kids, and then made a few shorts at Union stuff, and a few other shorts here and there with each other. Um, but it was more that we just had this idea. We, you know, we, we did the short because we wanted to make a film. We wanted to be something that we, we wanted to pick up again. And we just really enjoyed the experience. We really enjoyed the actors, we really enjoyed the characters that we created. And so we wanted to push this further. Um, you know, I never would have thought that my first feature would be kind of built this way, kind of like um, uh, retrospectively, I guess, um, you know. We kind of made it to fit around the shop, um, but it's just the way it's gone. Like the, the group of people that we've got are just so great. And it, the idea just snowballed. It's kind of inspired by those films that yeah, you don't get so many of, you know, um, Edgar Wright uh, comedies, you know, uh, you, there's lots of great comedies out there. Don't get me wrong, but there's, there's not so many that always that focus on the physical physicality of the comedy, as well as the dialogue. We're making sure that we kind of hit both those points. And yeah, we just want to make something fun that we wanted to watch ourselves basically. Uh, you
4: mentioned, this is the second time you've mentioned Edgar Wright. Uh, love Edgar Wright's work, um, Hot Fuzz. Uh, uh, was, was, um, Shaun of the Dead. Shaun of, Shaun of the Dead. Spaced was the TV series that he worked with uh, Simon Pegg on. But Shaun of the Dead is my favorite zombie movie of all time. Uh, I did like the third in the cornetto trilogy which is at world's end yeah um yeah. though I for me personally it's out of the three it's my it's my least favorite of the three not it's saying it's hard, a terrible got, it's
3: I mean it's a hard one it's got a big job to follow up after those two so yes
4: exactly I mean you get you you start off with with um Shaun of the dead then you have hot fuzz which basically just switches off switches genres you got zombie then you go to action pack then you have um Alien, uh, you know, uh, apocalypse type uh, action film, and it's still a good film. But in my for, for me, it's it's kind of goes downhill. Then he comes back for me anyway, personally with uh, Baby Driver. Um, mm-hmm. I love Baby Driver a lot, uh, and one of the reasons why I'm bringing him up, you've mentioned him a couple of times, and you're an editor as well. Uh, one of the things that is uh, consistent in Edgar Wright's films. Is the is especially it's, it's his transitions how he you talk about physical comedy how he uses editing and filmmaking to actually tell the story like visual um, storytelling right and it's with the editing in his transitions um, as an editor yourself can you talk us through some of the ways that you find Edgar Wright um, his his uh, method how effective is his method in doing transitions when it comes to storytelling in films what strikes you as an editor as being what is effective about the way that he does his transition when it comes to editing
3: uh yeah i'm a huge fan of of, of the way his films are cut i think there's just a lot of thought in how the story is progressing you know he's just i'm not like wouldn't even dream of comparing myself to him at all he's a master of of, of of the entire um every aspect of filmmaking and he's an editor himself as well. Uh, he just thinks about everything that, that can help move move the scene along. The two obvious ones that I like are match cuts. I'm a big fan of match cuts, which were um, you saw a lot of in Everything's Going to Be Fine. Uh, and could, you know, just to, Sorry, just to jump in there. Could you mm-hmm. explain what mm-hmm. a match cut is, just in case people are listening and
4: they don't know what match cuts are? Can you explain what a match cut is?
3: Yeah, so it's, it was cutting between two scenes using visually uh, similar... Like shots. So, uh, an example from in everything is going to be fine. I have a character who's um, pulling at a wound, and that cuts to a shot of her pulling at a CD, something like that. Um, or it could just even be that you know they're framed the same within a shot, anything like that. But the other thing that he he, he always does quite well is his, his music and his sound effects. You know, you have um, a build up of sound so that it kind of gets the audience ready to know that a cut's coming, but excited about what that cut may be. Whether it's like the ramping up of, of a, just a, a sound effect or it's, you know, a music cue that's building up into it. But he uses that either to drive the story forwards or to get a laugh. And that's what, that's what we're trying to, to achieve with ours as well. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm
0: Marcus E. Ackle And I'm producer Dave and Mitch. What challenges did you face in refilming that whole thing, um, considering you hadn't
3: actually originally planned it? The main the main challenge is just logistics, really. I mean, we've got a really good core cool team, uh, both in cast and crew um but because of the nature of of you know the level we're at we're very low budget we're self funded we're crowdfunded um so we're we're relying on a lot of people's um kindness to give their time and their experience and their expertise um so it's basically just working around their availabilities um but that's kind of like what's been work well for us in our script. So because it's six individual stories, which have time jumps in between them, although there's still obviously continuity, continuity is not so as vital as say something that's uh, a film where it's all happening in one day. So it's just kind of a bit of calendar Tetris really to find out when everyone's available, when it all lines up, locations, actors, cast, um, uh, crew, and then just, yeah, getting everyone in, getting the scenes done. Those are the only challenges really. The, the performances and the um, the crew and everything are just great, but it's just getting everyone one into one place and then letting the camera roll.
4: Like I said earlier, I mean, I really, I was, I'm a huge fan of of everything's going to be fine, even though I can never get the name right. It's because I was confusing with, I always say it's all because I, I always, my brain goes, uh, it's all, it's going to be all right on the night. And I'm like, that's why, where. Where do I get that? And
3: then it's, everyone does <laughs> think it's going to be, everyone seems to think it's everything is going to be all right. I exactly more of a common phrase
4: yes and so it's like everything's going to be fine so I'm, I'm like i should think that before i even before when i need to say the name i should just think look don't stress out about the name everything's going to be fine and that's <laughs> that's it I'm like yeah there you go that's what it is so that is the cool. mantra
3: on set as well that's
4: <laughs> <laughs> when everything's falling apart right
3: yeah <laughs> um
4: I'm, I, i've said i've said repeatedly i love that film i really think it was a great film um is a standout for me personally. I mean, the others are great, but Imogen just she captures it. She's amazing um in that film itself. I think she has the uh, this is me overstating this. She has the potential to become uh, the Britain, British, British answer to Anna Faris. I think she can nail that if she just carries on in that. She's got the com- comedic chops. She's got the action chops in there as well. If she needs to. Uh, I think she, she, and I would love to see Murder Ballads as well. When it comes out, see that she, you, you know, you, you've directed her, carried her in that particular vein and basically make her explode in a couple of years. Speaking of which, when do you think, when do you estimate, I know you still have a number of things that you need to get done. When do you estimate that we're going to be able to see Murder Ballads or, in, you know, while we're waiting, see everything's going to be fine?
3: So uh, Murder Ballads, we're hoping to finish wrapping by November at uh, the latest end of the year and I hope to have the first kind of cut done by end of January and then we'll go into festivals. Um, in the meantime, everything is going to be fine. Um, we've got distribution with Bloody Disgusting TV um, so that will be available um, on their um, bloody, Sh- bloody Bites TV show uh, in the next uh, month or so. But other than that, I think we're keeping it on a short leash because um, you know it's such a part, um, a big part of the feature. I mean, there are there are significant differences now, but that's where it will be for the next year or two. And then when Murder Ballads is to be released, it'll, we'll be pulling it back down. That's
4: fantastic. As soon as it gets on there, I see, that's the thing. I don't know whether to say we will promote it so that everyone gets to see it. (laughs) And the problem is if they get to see it, as you said, it's going to change when it comes to murder ballots. Um, But you know what? I still think we should, we should, when it comes out, uh, you should tell us the details, give us the links. We'll push it out to as many people as possible so they can watch the short, know how great the short is and just expect that when murder ballots comes out, they need to purge everything's going to be fine from their memories so that they can go and enjoy murder ballads in its in in its entirety and it's in its uniqueness and just forget that anything came before um so yeah so as soon as it comes out let us know and we'll get you uh talking about i think
0: you got a question no i was just gonna say i think mitch you know you should actually promote everything's gonna be fine as much as possible because as you said when um you were raising funds for it. It was such a good advert for the finished product for what's going to be the finished product that people who watch it, they're not sure about murder ballads. They spend 15 or 20 minutes watching everything's going to be fine. They know where they're going to be going to. So yeah, it's going to be a massive. Nice little... Yeah,
3: no, for sure. I mean, the, the, having seen it won't spoil all the stuff that comes around, uh, comes before and, and after. So, um, you know, that, that was all I always our thinking as well. You know, it, if um, if people have seen everything, Is going to be fine. They still need to get something out of murder ballads, so it's it's not that if you've seen it, it will spoil anything. It'll just you'll have a, maybe a, a little bit more of an edge than than a than a virgin viewer. That's true, and also you'll get you also have people who will love
4: everything's going to be fine, and not so and not so much murder ballads, and vice versa. They don't like uh, everything's going to be fine, but they love murder ballads, and then you have people. Who like me? I assume I'm going to fall into both camps. Where you're going to love both, everything's going to be fine, and murder ballads. So uh, yeah, we'll try and get as many people watching it as possible. Mitch Tolliday, thank you very much for joining us today, and we hope uh, we wish you the best on Murder Ballads.
1: And that was our conversation with Mitch Holiday, and uh, talking about Murder Ballads. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance the Four Point Four FM. As always, I want to thank all of you for staying tuned. Um joining, uh, you know, coming back and listening to us, even after the hiatus, uh, you know, now that we're diving into the autumn season and we're carrying on with our ramblings, uh, those technical ramblings about different films. I always want to thank you for just bearing with us, listening to us ramble. And uh, I say us, and I always say this, I'm the one that rambles and Producer Dave is the one who reins me back in. Honestly, if, 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 I, if, if it wasn't for Producer Dave, I would be talking far more nonsense than i do every now and again <laughs> I, just, I just see him just do the wind up and i'm like okay okay fine fine i'll stop i'll stop i want to say thank you all very much i want to say one last rest in peace to michael k williams and i want to say
0: you've been listening to shoot the breeze on residence 104.4 fm hi i have been marcus d e. and i'm still producer dave Thanks. thank you all very much and speak to you all next week bye bye, bye.